this morning. Uh, you know, what reminded me about uh, the worship of God is in the Old Testament it said the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. And have you ever noticed that if you're talking about something scary, all of a sudden this creepy feeling will come on you? You know? But if you talk about the Lord, his presence shows up. And he doesn't leave or he doesn't forsake. The Bible says the angel of the Lord, which is Jesus Christ, encampeth around about those that fear him to keep them in their way. Do you agree? I, uh, I don't think I need that one. I was uh, thinking about a testimony of my father. He had had uh, Parkinson's disease and had broken his, his ball of his shoulder and part of his hips. And so I went down from Montana to uh, minister to him and take care of him, you know, shave him, get him showered, and everything that you would do to someone that was elderly. And he just laid on the sofa. And I went to church one morning, and I came back, and he was up walking around the house, you know, just walking back and forth. And I said, what happened? He said, well, I started praising the Lord, and the Lord said, get up and walk. So I got up and walked, and I've been walking ever since. And he walked until the day he passed on to glory, which was 10 years later. So I'm telling you, uh, look at uh, David's army. When they were going up against the Philistines, they had uh, 50, I believe it was 50, uh, men of God that would praise the beauty of holiness that walked before the armors, you know, before the people with arms, they were going to get killed first. You know, they didn't have any weapons. All they had was tambourines and trumpets, and they were praising the Lord for the beauty of holiness. And the enemy ran away, and David and his group got all the spoils from it. The next time it was different, it was going through the willow trees, you know, the wind going through the willow trees, and, and uh, the Lord told David to attack when, the, when you hear the wind, uh, the wind going through the mulberry trees. That's what it was. So don't underestimate the power of praise. Don't underestimate it. Because it has worked for me. You know, I've done all the crying, all the whining, all the, you know, twisting up in a knot, the anxiety, the, the things that, you know, that most people would naturally do in their human selves. But when I begin to praise the Lord, things start changing around. We were speaking in, uh, Brother Hal can attest to this, we were speaking in men's meeting the other night and uh, I was having some pretty bad anxiety. It was coming back to me. And so uh, I got on the phone with the pastor, and he said, why don't you, uh, why don't you take um, in the book of Luke where Jesus was asleep in the boat and the disciples were fretting because they were going to drown because it was a storm, and so they woke Jesus up to have him help. And he said, oh, you have little faith, and he rebuked the wind and the waves, and they said, they said, what manner of man is this that can speak to the wind and the waves? And they obey him. But there was not one thank you in that whole discourse. They didn't thank the Lord for saving them from the wind and the waves. And if you jump over to Paul, he says, be anxious for nothing but in everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving give thanks for this is the will of god concerning you 
So it's God's will that we don't be anxious, but we thank Him. And in thanking Him, we get our eyes off of us and our eyes on Him, and He has all power and He's able to do something about it. Well, all we can do is lay there in a knot, you know, balling in the floor at 3 o'clock in the morning. Amen? All right, well, that discourse uh, a little bit over. I want to go to uh, the book of Ruth, if you would. And this is a, uh, a discourse that the Lord gave me uh, some time ago. And I want to call it uh, Four Men in a Pair of Shoes. Well, three men are the pair of shoes, and the fourth man is an example of what the shoes meant. So there's going to be some symbolism in this. Okay, symbolism about shoes, about snakes, about leprosy, about, you know, all kinds of other stuff. And, and those that have been raised in church will understand it. And if you don't understand it, come to me afterwards and I will, I will definitely explain it to you. Okay? Okay, Ruth. Um, let's see what chapter it is. Ruth chapter 3, verse 18, and then jumping down to 4, chapter 7. 3.18. And she said, sit still. Now this is talking about Ruth and Naomi after Ruth had come back to Judea from uh, Moriah. Not Moriah. Where, where was she come from? Where did she come from? Ruth? She was a foreigner. So... Moab. Moab. Okay, so she's come with Moab, and she gives a wonderful uh, dissertation, or, or uh, what do you call it, a, a consecration to Ruth, that my God will be your God. Your people will be my people, and I'll live where you want me to live, and I'll suffer the things that you need to suffer. Well, out of that, out of that consecration the Lord set in motion a line of things. And one of the lines is, in verse 18, um, he says, Then she said, Sit still, my daughter, until thou wilt know how the matter will fall, for the man will not rest until he has finished this thing this day. So there was two people in line for Ruth's hand and Ruth's inheritance. One was a nearer kinsman, and Boaz was the other kinsman. Now that Boaz didn't have any children, the nearer kinsmen did. And so when they went to the city gates to make this discussion and to make this agreement, the younger man or the man that was nearer Naomi said, look, I can't have her children and raise children upon my own children's inheritance because it will mar their inheritance. It'll split it in half and half and half. And so he said, no, you go take her. And so what did Boaz do in verse... Four, number seven. Now the manner of former time in Israel concerning the redeeming and concerning changing to confirm all things, a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor, and this was a testimony in Israel. So in other words, instead of signing documents, they would pull off their shoe and give it to him. And that was an agreement, that was a covenant. You're taking off the way that you would have walked and you're giving it to another man. 
Okay? Now let's jump real quickly now that we understand that. Let's jump real quickly to um, chapter 3 of Exodus. And it's going to be, well, I think it's Exodus 3. Yes, Exodus 3, verse 2. Well, we'll start at verse 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. Now this is after he fled from Egypt for killing the Egyptian, if we remember right. And so he's on the way back side of the desert. And he's herding sheep. And Jethro was his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back side of the desert, and he came to a mount of God, even unto Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked and beheld the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. He's never known anything like this before. And when he turned and saw, and the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him from the middle of the bush, saying, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put thy shoes off of thy feet, for the place where thou standest is holy. So sometimes when we come to the Lord, he doesn't want the way we've been walking. You know, feet are representative in, in the armor of God as a preparation of the gospel of peace. And in order to have the preparation of the gospel of peace, you have to have God's shoes on. You can't have your own shoes on. And so you take the way you walk and the, your conversation of lifestyle and you take those off in order to gain something, to make an agreement and a covenant with God. And what was the result of the covenant? God gave him gifts and gave him, a, gave him a responsibility. He said, you're going to free my people from Egypt. I've heard their cry. I've heard their, their taskmasters. You know, so I want you to take off your shoes and come on holy ground, and I'm going to give you some stuff. And so he said, see that rod in your hand? Throw down that rod. Well, the rod we know is a symbol of authority. And so he threw down the rod, and it became a snake a cobra. And I don't know if you've ever watched any documentaries, but I've, I've killed a lot of snakes with hose and shotguns. You know, I wasn't about to pick a snake up by the tail. No, that's a good way to get bit. Right. And so he, he reached down by faith and picked up this snake by the tail and it turned back into a rod. And if we want to look into that and, and we want to read into it and study it, and I've studied some, you know, Keel and Disich commentaries that, that are half German, half Latin, half British, half, you know, and you've got to read through every different language just to get the, in Latin, you know, Septuagint, just to get the gist of it. And what they said was a rod is the symbol of authority, but if you, if you misuse the rod, it can bite you and poison you, and power becomes corruptible. And so he did what God told him to. God gave him the stick. God gave him the rod. And he said, I want you to head out. And he said, before you head out, I want you to, um, 
take a, a jug of this water and I want you to pour it out on the ground in front of the congregation and it will turn into blood. And so he took the, the vase and he poured it out in front of the congregation and it became blood and everybody was amazed. And of course, later on, you see what happened to the rivers and the streams and everything else when God got a hold of it. The third one was, and this is what I want to reiterate to you today, was leprosy. Now we know leprosy is a type of sin. Leprosy is sin. And he said, put your hand in your bosom. He put his hand in his bosom. He pulled it out. It was white as snow. He said, I want you to show this to the leadership of the Jews. Not to the congregation like you did the, the blood, but to the leadership of the Jews. And so sometimes there's some things that are not right in our, in our lives. And, and the Lord says, confess your faults one to another. I want you to please be careful who you confess your faults to, whether it's the leadership or whether it's the congregation. Because if it's in the congregation, it may get around and around and around and ruin a reputation and you may never be able to speak for God again in, in that place. So you go to someone who's able to bear that sin and has had some kind of you know, a, 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 a drive in their heart that wasn't not right, that they were dealing with their conscience over and you know, that the Lord was dealing with and say, hey, Brother Hal, I've been having this problem. You know, and I know that you can understand it because I know that you've been through it before. And I want you to keep this between us and make it a matter of prayer between us. Because we're two or three are gathered together, the Lord is there in the midst of us. And he's the only one that can take care of this. Because I have tried every way I know how. And nothing's worked. But God can fix it. So, we know about uh, leprosy now. Alright, let's go to uh, another man in a pair of shoes. Let's go to uh, Joshua at Jericho. I forgot to mark this, so I have to forgive me, Joshua. Is it uh, 15, 15, 14, 13, 14. Uh, that's the. Y'all give me just a second. I've lost my marker and. Chapter six, I'm not sure. Well, can I paraphrase since I can't find it? Everybody knows Joshua anyway. So Joshua was the right hand man of Moses. And there's no doubt that anointing can come by osmosis. You know, 
if your heart is right, it will jump from me to how, from how to Linda, so on and so forth. I mean, it's like I have seen it in, in congregations where the Spirit of God was unleashed and it was like waves going through wheat, you know, and it was just such a beautiful thing. I've seen fog fill the churches up to where no one could stand. But these were back in the days when psychology wasn't our God and, and the dollar bill wasn't our God and medicine wasn't our God. We didn't have nobody. My father told me um, times where when he would get finished with a meeting with visiting pastors, they would go over to an old country house, which was their house, and their wives would be ironing their shirts for the next day because they only had one pair of shirt. You know, they only had one shirt. And their dinner would be wild onions and cornbread. You know, that was their, that was their after meal dinner. And I've, got, I've been in places as well on the, on the Navajo reservation where uh, your tithe may be um, a piece of fry bread or half a piece of fry bread and a bowl of mutton stew. You know, that was your tithe because that's all they had to give. So Joshua, he's leading the, as the right hand of Moses. Moses has gone off the scene now. God has buried him where he wanted to. And Joshua is, is trying to get the confidence of the people. And the Lord has told him of his confidence, but he hadn't told the people of his confidence. And so he walks out and he, he's looking up on the top of the encampment and he sees a man there with a sword drawn. And when you draw a sword, you're ready to fight. I mean, it's not a gun, it's a piece of steel, you know? And he says, so he walks up to him and he says, are you for us or are you for them? And the captain of the Lord's host said, nay. Why did he say nay? Can anybody give me an answer on that, Devin? Nay, but as the captain of the Lord's host, I am come. So it means you got a choice. God has never overridden that sense of the garden. We always have a choice, whether it's good or whether it's bad, whether it looks in an impossible situation, we always have a choice. And so the captain of the Lord's host says, Nay, as the captain of the Lord's host, I am come, take off your shoes. Why, why was he wanting to take off his shoes? Because God had a, had a challenge for him at Jericho with very specific instructions. March around the city seven days blowing tram horns or ram horns. On the seventh day, blow them seven times and don't make a sound. And then when you get to the end of the seventh time, everybody screamed with a loud shout, you know, glory to the Lord. And the walls fell down flat. Except except the place where the woman entertained the spies. Can you imagine that? The whole wall built around each other, it falls down except that one spot where that woman lived, hid the spies. And they told her, and Joshua told her, go in, get the spies out, get their family out right now, or, you know, or something bad's going to happen. And so they kept their promise. And this woman was in the lineage of Christ, a harlot. She was in the, uh, you know, the, the lineage of Christ. 
So, he took the, you know, if, if, if it was us today, and let's just be, be candid about it, if we knew that a group of people walked around Jericho and the walls fell down, we'd be trying to find out what kind of shoes it was so we could market them. You know what I mean? We would find out what kind of ram horn they blew so we could put it on sale at Walmart and make some money off of it. That's the way our, cu our cu culture is wholly changed. It's not the same. So I want to I go one more time with you to uh, the book of Samuel, verse 18, number 131. And I know we don't have this on the screen. I wish we did, but uh, I didn't really have the time to get with Corey about doing that for me. Pardon? First Samuel, yes. 18, 1 and 4. And then we're going to slip down to uh, 31, 1 and 3. Now this is what happens. I told you this was going to be a little short this morning because I didn't have time to, to go into the thread of, of how this connects all the way with the Shekinah glory of God and the skin tent and Moses. And <laughs> so I, I just I didn't feel that I had that, that liberty. But um, so 18.1. Okay, and it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, the Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of Saul, or the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Now he wasn't even talking to Saul or, or to Jonathan, he was talking to Saul but he could see the anointing that Samuel placed on him had left Saul and had come to David. And he could see that characteristic in him. It's a heartfelt characteristic. You know when you're walking down the street and you see somebody else that's a believer in Jesus Christ, you, you're, you're drawn to them. They're your brother and your sister. Sometimes you can't tell, but most of the time you can. And so his... his just his conversation with Saul caused Jonathan to have his heart knit with David because of the wisdom of the way he answered. Saul said, here, take, take my armor, put my armor on. And David got to clinking around in the armor. And you know Saul was head and shoulders above all of Israel. He was probably 6'5", six, 6'8". Six, you know, and David was here, this little dude. You know, his breastplate was coming up to here. He couldn't see out of it. And he says, I've got to take these off. I haven't proven these. I can't fight in these things. So what's the first thing you take off when you take off your armor? Your shoes. No matter how good they were prepared, how shiny they were, and you know the kings back then had wonderful armor. You know, they had ornate armor. And he could have used those shoes, but he took his shoes off. And he went down to 
to a smooth or a brook and got five smooth stones and put them in his bag and carried his sling with him. And he went out to fight the giant. Now here's another responsibility that happens when you take your shoes off. One was go deliver my people in Israel and take these gifts with you. One was you do exactly what I say and the wall of Jericho will come down and you'll be able to save the people that you need to save there and collect the spoils. And number three was David took off Saul's shoes, went barefooted for all I know, maybe some moccasins, got five smooth stones and killed a giant that was 10 foot tall, maybe 11, we don't know. But he had a staff like a weaver's beam and a weaver's beam is not small. He had, a, he had a man carry his shield for him so he wouldn't get tired of carrying his shield. You know, and a sword bearer. So, I mean, the stuff was heavy. And so when David went down there and said, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, and he let that rock fling, and that rock hit Goliath right in the forehead. And he went over and he chopped his head off with his own sword. What an insult. I'm going to kill you with your own weapon, you know. And when they saw that, the Philistines fled. And there was peace for almost 40 years between the, the uh, Philistines and the Jews. So what I'm trying to say is today, there's, there's a lot of different kinds of shoes. Um, I didn't want to really get into this, but I mean, there's combat boots, there's dress shoes, there's tennis shoes, there's, and each one of them is not representative of, of you know, what I buy down at the shoe store. It, it gives us a, a, a tangible feeling of how we're walking. Is it true? If I wear combat boots, what are you going to think I am? A soldier. If I wear tennis shoes that are that got spikes on the bottom, what do I do for a living? I run. I play baseball, I run. What if I wear dress shoes? Well, I'm standing up here. So each one of those things has a representation, and they may not always be right, and they may just be my speculation, but you, you, have, to, you have to read in it a little bit and see what the Spirit of the Lord would say to you. Are you a soldier? going dead. You're going to have to put up with a lot of different things that, that, uh, that may come with those shoes, a lot of different responsibilities, a lot of different cares, a lot of challenges, um, you know, whether it's running, whether it's soldiering, whether it's um, preaching, whether, whether, whatever it might be. And you think your preacher doesn't have problems? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, you try to, you, you know, this is a small congregation. You try to, you know, get 200 people in here with all their little quirks and personalities, and I tell you, he's, he's doing a fantastic job at it. He's full of love, and he's full of patience. He's full of kindness, and this is from the Lord. This is not from him. This is not from his personality. This is from the anointing that he has given because he has a choice whether to be mean and nasty or whether to, to be patient and kind. And so I applaud him for that, and I applaud the Lord for giving him that, and those are, those are wonderful gifts. Well, I guess I'm, uh, I'm about done. Um, I wanted to go over to the book of Revelations. In the book of Revelations, there's a, there's a phrase where it said there's myriads and myriads, 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands of people there, and they're all worshiping. Don't you think we should do that here? This is practice for there. And they were saying glory and honor and power and might and majesty and wealth and kingdom be thine forever and evermore. And they threw down their crowns at his feet. We don't deserve these. You've given them to us as gifts, but we don't deserve them. And so when we praise the Lord here, whether it's the start of the service, whether it's holding your hand up and saying amen, amen while the pastor is preaching, that's worship. And that's what we're getting ready for. Some of us may not take too long. You know, I may walk out the door and fall off the porch and break my neck. One way or another, within 100 years, you're going to meet God. You know it? And you're going to stand before him, and you'll take account of every deed, every deed done in your body. So let's start a practice now of worshiping with the team leaders, of worshiping with the choir, of worshiping when the, when the pastor gets on a roll and he's, he's all fired up. Hey, stand up and clap your hands and say amen, and the presence of the Lord will flood this, flood this place, okay? All right, is there any more prayer requests before we dismiss tonight? No? Well, let's just pray then. Father, I thank you for allowing me to preach this message tonight, or this morning. I thank you for allowing the words to come to me, albeit they're a little confusing. I thank you for the symbolism that you showed me. I thank you, Lord God, for the presence that I feel in this place. I thank you for our worship team. I thank you for all that they've done in, in helping me to prepare for this, although I wasn't here to prepare for it. And thank you for everything that you've done, and we ask that you would be with our pastor and his family today, that you would be with Jason and their family, and let them have a wonderful time, a wonderful vacation, a wonderful time in your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>